Star Trek Enterprise is a show that provides the origin point of many important Trek milestones. And this week, it's the Orion Ho Train here on Feature <laughs> Please, a heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. I do not have a mullet. I am not good at wushu kung fu. And coincidentally, I'm also not genetically augmented, so go figure. <laughs> I'm your co-host, Peter. Peter, what episode of Star Trek Enterprise did we watch this week? We're getting into Enterprise Season 4, Episode 4, Borderland. Uh, no sign of Claptrap, unfortunately. First aired October 29th. Here we are, man. October 27th. It's so close to the synergy. I feel it. Uh, October 29th, 2004. This is written by Ken Lazebnik, who I do not recognize whatsoever. Directed by David Livingston, who has directed, I don't know, what, years worth of our content at this point? <laughs> yes. Billions of episodes of Trek. This man's name is well known to us. What's this guy done? Hold on. Let me look at. Uh... This is, he's only writes two Enterprise episodes ever. This and one other one called Daedalus. Some interesting things going on here. I'd actually forgotten about who our guest star was going to be. So the arrival of old Brett. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brent was. Uh, pleasant. Little did I know this is going to be where Big Show popped up. Oh, yes, definitely. And boy, did they ever make use of Big Show being big uh, <laughs> repeatedly? Um, well, they're certainly not going to showcase great acting. <laughs> No, no. They do what they can with them. And you know what? Big Show does exactly what he was paid to do here. Pick um, people up. In fact, I'm looking at the memory alpha and I see he goes above and beyond and gives some nice value add services where he picks up David Livingston as well. <laughs> Not even on camera. He just looks thrilled too. Like he's like, oh, yay, take me for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> we wrapped up the episode 15 minutes early. What are we going to do? I still got everybody here. Oh, look, Big Show's giving people uh, airplane rides. <laughs> Sign me up. Let's take advantage of David's generous uh, directorial style. And Jolene looks like she loved it so much earlier. Uh, well, we'll get to that scene. I, I've got pictures. So this begins the Enterprise arcs. Um, several different multi-episode arcs is what dominates the season. Oops, they're all arcs. Oops, all arcs. And so this is the first of a three-parter in regards to the whole story of the augments. And it's great. It's great. Like, this is a, a fantastic way to do the show. And I feel like they really crack the code on how Enterprise can be a good and compelling drama with a lot of continuity and without it being like a, a too serialized, like maybe season three wound up being. My wife decided to watch this episode with me. <laughs> she did not watch it in a normal state of mind. Let's say that. Okay. <laughs> Which I think is what convinced her to even watch Star Trek Enterprise with me in the first place. I don't know if she would have classified this as a, what was the words you used? Compelling and what? Compelling was one of the words. Yes. She, I think she enjoyed the experience of watching it. Uh, not without her own jokes to make. And certainly what I, there's a level of camp in this episode that, uh, she's certainly, yeah. And it's that's fun. Yeah. Something you didn't get a lot of in season. It's hard to have fun when terrorists want to cut a hole into your planet's core and blow it up with a space laser. 
But but when you have kung fu fighting augments who are taking over Klingon ships, there's more that you can kind of do there. That's like, oh, this is great, <laughs> right? Like this is this is a good time. We've already spoiled that this is about the genetically engineered augments. So before we start discussing the actual plot, can you walk me through some history here? Because I did not watch TOS its an entirety. Um, and certainly that was not really ever a focal point of next gen or Voyager. What, how much of the eugenics wars, which I believe at this time was still separate from world war three, right? That is correct. They only finally kind of fixed that in strange new worlds. <laughs> right. Um, how much of the eugenics wars was initially discussed in TOS? It's just one episode. It's the one episode when they find Khan called Space Seed is when it, it comes up at all. And they have like a little Encyclopedia Britannica moment where they try to explain who he is and why he was famous and what they were. And there was a, a book that was written probably in the late 90s, early 2000s that attempted to sort of create a chronology and a, a real history of the eugenics wars and Khan specifically to kind of flush it out more that was for a long time, like seen as like the canon explanation that would move forward. But I, I think most Trek basically wanted to avoid talking about it because it was something that was supposed to happen in the nineties and then didn't. Right. So it's that first point of divergence because that's what they say in space. Is it happens in the 1990s, which would have been, you know, Oh boy, 30 years from now, it's like, whatever, right. We can make up whatever <laughs> we want at the time. So, it created this problem where it's like, okay, well, this is clearly a spot where we've become total science fiction already. So what do we do with it? And uh, so rather than deal with it, I think most everybody just decided to ignore it. Um, this is Time the first Star Trek tradition and kick the can down the road. It indeed. And it isn't until basically DS nine that you get any kind of serious material about augments at all, let alone, like Khan and the eugenics wars. And I think this is the first real attempt post wrath of Khan to really bring in the true blue augments from the eugenics wars era to show like what these kinds of people are. And again, I mean, this is all post DS nine too. So whatever may have happened involving Julian Bashir and I don't know, I'm sure section 31 was involved in all that somehow too, but this might have been a cool way to retcon some of that. Um, so just so my augments timeline is correct. Khan from Rathacon, Star Trek two mm -hmm. was born in the supposed first time around was born in the nineties. Took over a third of the earth. Right. Yes. And then there was a, eugenics war where the augment warlords fought amongst themselves and were eventually overthrown and Khan led a contingent of genetically modified supermen out into deep space on a sleeper ship which Kirk then encountered in 20 whatever TOS era was yeah the 2200s that is correct you have it correct and then that would not have happened yet. So Khan currently is on a sleeper ship 
somewhere out in outer space. Correct. And he is independent of whatever uh, Eric soon is involved in. Yes. Okay. So now that we've got that knocked out, uh, we get into our cold opener, which questionable casting here, man, (laughs) or maybe a subversion of expectation, but we've got a bird of prey floating around. Mm hmm. Having a good time. And it's very reminiscent of this uh, Lower Decks arc that I've been in. We're in what season four of Lower Decks right now, right? Correct. Yeah. Where every episode like begins with a different race encountering the same mysterious vessel that they fuck with and they get blown up and obliterated. And basically the same thing happens there. Only the ship doesn't blow up. The crew just gets fucking greased. We do have a, a brief return of JG Hertzler playing another fucking Klingon. Right. I At first I was like, I know this guy. And I was like, is that's the lawyer, dude. What's he doing on a ship? Like, I, I love that you know him as the lawyer, dude. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Klingon. Klingon Goodman. What's. Yeah. Killing Klingon, Klingon Saul Goodman. Yeah. Saul. What's, how, how to make a better word out of that. It's too late. That episode's over. I can't. I can't put the time in on it. But, you know, I'd say you can't reuse the same guy in the same makeup. But that's exactly what they did with Hertzler because he was a Klingon in DS9 and they used him as Klingon lawyer, dude. But he is not Klingon lawyer, dude. He is just hapless captain staring down the barrel of an ass kicking. And an ass kicking is, in fact, what happens here, because uh, the the two humans that are captured who uh, begin a motif of the the augments, which will be uh, three key elements uh, one will be they're all dressed in tattered black nylon spandexy gear. Uh, all of them have unkempt haircuts that uh, border dangerously mullets. on mullets. And third, apparently one of the augment genes is being a, a huge stage level overactor like your Ricardo Monteblon, like that it's actually programmed into the genome. Because all these dudes are way over dramatic and over pronunciating their words with dramatic stares at all times. I, I honestly think they were told act like Rep- Ricardo Montalban did. <laughs> like that's just wh- how all augments are. Not the best decision. <laughs> it's, <laughs> uh, it's it's very noticeable. <laughs> they are patently bad and. Uh low points of the scene and it really makes the interactions and the scenes that focus on these guys kind of painful to watch comic Comic in one way uh also you know they've got a uh a nice diverse group and i'd read a little bit about the augments on memory alpha like there was a conscious decision to grab all of earth's nationalities so it's not just like one breed of Superman to rule them all. It's like, grab some Indian dudes, get some Americans, get some whatever, right? Yeah. Black Very people. forward thinking of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's a Thank- UN of super soldiers. So this is all what? A product of the noon, was it Noonian Sioux uh, Cultural Advancement Center? If we were to take Strange New Worlds as the, as the canon on what developed the superhumans initially. Uh, But they got even though, you know, there's Asian dude, white dude, whatever. uh, The common thread 
on top of everybody being extremely physically fit is like they all have weirdly angular faces in their own weird ways. The lady, my wife pointed out during the maybe I'll throw the picture up on the trauma support group when she's having her initial like hallway meeting with one of the guys, like from the angle, the camera hits her at it. It just looks like Benedict Cumberbatch. Don't show us that one. <laughs> and she's like, doesn't, doesn't she look like Benedict Cumberbatch with a wig on? And I'm like, well, you know, it's funny. You pick him of all people and say, she looks like him because he's one of them in into darkness. That's so true. He's con. Yeah. There's a, you know, you're, you're right. And you're wrong. And, We'll get to her in a second. I want to. I want to start in the cold open with the fact that we get some kung fu fighting, which Wushu, is just a, which is the flashiest of kung fu's. It's it's it's. We are talking big mule kicks. We are talking, uh, you know, uh, drop heels from full cartwheels and like this guys. Uh, guys went for it on a stunt level, man. They they're they're putting all of the effort in. We're talking about Klingons getting kicked down hallways like they're falling down mine shafts it's such an exciting action sequence that my kids are upstairs screaming about it that they were so pumped i saw that they got awards for uh spunt performing in this one which seemed like a real low bar <laughs> i guess when you're talking like early 2000s television there's probably that level of stunts that you see at the beginning just not something you see it's good it was real good these guys knew how to do it they were probably hired because they were st- stuntmen not actors that's oh, why they're absolutely. bad at acting that's why they're bad at acting that's how now listen I'm, I'm gonna lay this on david livingston that's how you cover up bad acting jesus christ these people they got playing this they look great they can't act their way out of a paper bag tell you what do act like you're shatner you're gonna miss the mark you're gonna end up looking like con <laughs> and we'll just say you know what that's the genetics they, uh, they take over the ship we roll credits we come back even fit in a little bit of um, Boondock Saints with that double pistol pull shoot, right? Absolutely. I was very. I thought they were going to take eight or uh, was it JG or HG? JG. I figure they're going to take him hostage or something. I'm like, you're not bringing in a that guy just to blast out into space in the first three minutes. Come on! But they did. When we arrive back into the episode. We're actually in a very cozy little prison cell, apparently at Starfleet Command. And it's it's Brent who is playing, as he always does, all of the Soongs. This is where this starts, right? He's He plays Data, he plays Lore, he plays B4. Uh, he played Dr. Soong in TNG. He played, actually, Dr. Soong in a couple different forms in TNG. And now he's going to play Dr. Soong's ancestor. Later, he'll play Dr. Soon's other ancestors and son. Just just have Brent play it all. Uh, but this is probably the best it's version. It's a nice retirement package. It is. It's a nice way to get consistent work and not have to be in the makeup. And I like Eric Soon. I like renegade do- g- genetic Dr. Eric Soon. Let's go ahead and call him. Because he's so many Soongs and Eric, I mean, how do you keep track? of him? Let's just call him for what he is. Um, evil MacGyver. <laughs> I was going to say Ever. I was going to say Dr. Moreau, but yes, evil, evil MacGyver, MacGyver also helps. Yeah. And there he is. And he's in his uh, prison that is furnished by Ikea. Real chill. Very nice. Does 
Brent Spiner have a son? No, no, doesn't doesn't say who his child is. That means his child is just him in a wig. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's gotten I, I, so I, good at he's gotten so good at playing his characters. Uh, own family members that he's brought it into his own personal life. I mean, his 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 kid um, might very well be like in his fifties by now because I mean, you know, Brent's in his seventies, so yeah, not like he would be a young man if if he was born, you know, when when Brent was a young man. Yeah, but listen, let's sprinkle in some Hollywood here and assume he got married sometime in his sixties. Okay, fair enough. I agree with everything you said. This guy is a. A healthy departure from the Soongs that we have seen him play prior. And I would say even since, because we got uh, we got some Soong action out of Picard season one. And I don't know if was he season three. He briefly appeared as uh, Soong's son in three as well. This guy, he's not evil per se. Now, or is he? I think he is kind of on that, on the edge between like chaotic neutral and chaotic evil, but definitely I think is closer to neutral because he makes every effort to not kill any member of the enterprise crew. That's which I think does says a lot. True. And his monologues through the episode. Ah, I just looked at my notes. Yeah. Uh, forget about MacGyver. Uh, Soong is very clearly Rick Sanchez. Okay, yeah, you're right. He is Rick Sanchez. Minus a portal gun. And that's exactly the vibe that he gives off the entire time. He is um, uh, academically superior to everyone around him. He is quick to let them know that. He is not shy about uh, shocking opinions. And, you know, this is a guy with a, Machia- not a Machiavelli, but, you know, the ends do justify the means and he knows what's best for humanity. And by God, he is going to do everything within his power to realize that plan that he has. And it has not worked out super well for him because at some point, obviously he was captured and let's just go ahead and go a little deeper into his story. Uh, He had been some sort of a sanctioned scientist working at, Cold Station number 12. Correct. Which is a black ops off the books research facility. And along the way, he had become aware that there were augment embryos that Earth had kept around. This is a theme with the Earthlings, by the way, is they take things that are very dangerous and can lead to the end of the world and they keep them around, sometimes in a bread box in Jonathan Archer's case, along with the uh, avian transmography flu uh but soon decided that he had better plans for these genomes than cold storage station 12 and off he ran after stealing a bunch of them get caught about 10 years later refused to give up where uh he took those embryos to or what happened to them and has been sitting in a federation uh, not a federation in an earth jail ever since And he is getting a visit today from one Jonathan Archer. Uh, He's 
apparently not allowed any kind of technology because while he is Rick Sanchez, uh, that means uh, a simple pad can mean he can unlock every door in this high security place and run to Sausalito. So he can only have a pen and a paper. And this guy is such a mega genius. He's literally just inventing new uh, genetic modification techniques on the fly as a hobby that they just clear out eventually from his office. So you can just do more because that's how he passes the time. So uh, th- this is probably the most interesting portion of the episode to me. This guy has literal stacks, reams and reams and reams of paper that he has hand coded gene sequences and other amazing feats of uh, science. They're all hanging up on the wall, very orderly. He says that every couple of months they come in and clear his room out. Uh, reporting that all of the paperwork is just destroyed. I'm assuming that this is a plant on someone's behalf that like, we're going to go back and revisit this. And in fact, all of those notes were absorbed by section 31 or something else. And that there has you're been, wi- you're a wise man, Peter, <laughs> you smell it and you're like, hmm. okay. So they do capitalize on this. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, listen, <laughs> You know, so many times there's things that they lay out there and you're like, oh, this is cool. They're going to do something fun. Never to be heard from again. Damn you, Voyager. So I'm glad to hear that. Good. Uh, But he's like, hey, Jonathan Archer, the hero of Earth. What are you doing here? Are they naming this prison after you? Which (laughs) falls right in line with uh, home where the captain of the Columbia was. You say her name was Hernandez. Hernandez. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's like seven schools named after you now. Right. And this is something nice continuity that uh, it bothers Archer to hear this brought to his attention. Soong is such a, you know, ahead of the curve genius. He knows that Archer is bothered by it and that's why he does it right. Like that, that, that's part of his character that I really enjoy is that he, you know, we'll see through this episode, you know, he is three steps ahead of everybody. Uh, but he doesn't do it just to succeed. He does it also to just make people feel bad a lot. It's kind of where the evil side comes out a little bit in him, where he's just kind of kind of fucks with people to keep them off balance. Again, very Rick Sanchez, right? Yeah. And he's doing this because he can already detect that Archer doesn't like it. Uh, and it's a, it's a nice character point for him. But Archer comes in to say, yeah, so I'm here because a Klingon ship got uh, taken over by a bunch of, you know, a bunch of people. Klingons are mad about it. And we found the DNA of the people who did it because they uh, dumped all the bodies in space. Uh, and their augments, specifically matching those embryos you stole. So they're definitely the augments that you raised. And that means you're coming with me because we're going to go bring them home. That's the mission. We're going to go get them because the Klingons are fucking pissed and they want resolution to the fact that one of their ships got hijacked by what they perceive to be a bunch of jabroni humans. I like the way that he that Archer mentions to soon, like. There was a very specific genotype and like soon be like, oh, shit, it's my dudes. Mm hmm. Mm, this is interesting. Ooh, yeah, like uh, I'm nervous, but I'm kind of proud. Like, all right, let's. They're adults now. They're going to do adult things. I like this. I hope that they had the foresight to change out of the clothing I just left them in, and that they're not just 
rapidly expanding in their bodies, shredding the clothing slowly until it's scraps left on them. Uh, Archer, you know, it's a TV show, so of course he has to bring him along. Uh, we find out that the Makos are still a thing. Yeah. Archer had demonstrated, had reinforced to Hernandez that space is a dangerous place. Bad things happen. Bringing commandos on the ship. The exploration ship is, in fact, a great idea. And he continues to make the smart move, which is bring badass red shirts along to deal with nonsense. Hayes, I would say, is noticeably missing in this episode. I could have really went for some Hayes expertise. Oh, yeah. Like some him telling him like how he's going to guard him or what to look out for. Or, or just to, to put up a credible, for... yeah. put up a credible fight because the Makos, unfortunately, he let all the good Makos. They either all died on the suicide mission to the Death Star falling off the bridge or they have since transferred off and are with their families and they've left only the bad ones behind. Yeah, Tonfa Girl was definitely one of the ones against Jabroni. Did you notice that? Blonde Tonfa Girl? No, no, no. Brunette Tonfa Girl. Oh, by the way, if, if you're you know if you're watching the news in October of 2023, you probably saw hot Israeli makeup on the news. Unfortunately, because apparently after she was done being a hot Israeli Mako, she's involved with fighting anti-Semitism. So Noah Tishby still be out there doing her thing. Good for her. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, I remember her from Star Trek. We just watched that. Yeah. I creeped her on uh, IMDb. They transfer him up to the ship. Which, you know, is like bringing uh, the dude from uh, Silence of the Lambs, Lester... <laughs> Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's not eating anybody's faces, but you know, this guy's getting away. It would have been funny if they brought him up in the face mask on the hand dolly and like just cart him in. <laughs> oh, they, they brief the crew like, and they're all in their civilian gear. They're clearly still on vacation. And he's like, yeah, sorry guys. You're all, we're going to launch in six hours. Get your shit. We're, we're back in action now. And, uh, they legit again, they, they tap the right boxes. Why does it have to be the crew of the enterprise? Well, We've got the most experience out in space. The stakes here is war with the Klingon Empire. And, you know, we're a proven team with uh, past uh, interactions with the Klingons. He doesn't mention it, but it's like also, you know, they fucking owe me. How did they resolve him being a fugitive? Duras came after him and he killed Duras. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So he got convicted. Uh, Space lawyer Klingon was not able to get him off. He was supposed to serve 10 years and Rua Pente and then just Pente, which is a death sentence, but without saying it's a death sentence, they got out and then, yeah, came back up where they're like, he fucking escaped. Go hunt him down. Duras. He beat Duras's ass in the hyperbaric veil or whatever, but he's still, um, he's still a fugitive, right? Yes, he is. He's a fugitive from Klingon justice. I don't know if this is the right man to have lead your efforts to smooth things over with the Klingons. I mean, the logic makes sense to a degree. If you're going to send someone against the Klingons, it should be somebody who's proven he can beat them, which he has. He's like, he's legitimately just killed Duras. He's not going after the Klingons, though. He's going after the people who killed the Klingons to resolve things and arguably I'd say there's a high chance he's going to encounter Klingons. Like maybe this would have been a job for like, all right, Archer, you're going to go out and deal with them. But Hey, uh, just in case you have to get on the view screen and talk to the Klingons, me, your boss, in case you forgot, 
Admiral Forrest, I'm going to give you this chest of zany costumes that I've used to torment you in the first two seasons. There's a lot of good mustaches in there. Just grab one, slap it on real quick and say your name's uh, um, Jonathan Bowman, uh, Don Marcher. They when the crew gets briefed. Oh, the the only improvement apparently to the Enterprise for season four, just to show that, again, we're very budget friendly around here, uh, is that the chair is nicer. The captain's chair gets an upgrade. It looks like it's got, got uh, you know, a little bit more technology Seizure on it. Seizure lights is what I called them in my notes. He's showing this chair off, and there's just four ultra-bright LEDs blinking. Blue LED lights are very important because around the 2004 to, like, 2008 years, bright-ass blue LEDs were the official light of the future. They put them on everything. If you had a router or a cable modem in your bedroom in college, you would know that the lights are so bright. They just lit the entire room up the second you turned the lights off and it would just blink. Yeah, I remember I had to to put tape over my They made special tape that was like sun, like, you know, tinted tape to bring the lights down on these fucking things. Same with like every single HP computer had the bat signal uh, of of power switches and was these blue lights. So being Jonathan Archer and sitting in this chair with these lights just blinking in your face. I can only assume it's going to be a key component to a future space madness episode. That chair uh, I read was the Enterprise East chair after the end of uh, Nemesis in a cut scene. Yes, it was. And it was like a seatbelt. It was a real dumb thing that they cut. That's right. Yeah. Uh, the seat is an interesting discussion point because of that God awful episode where they get space madness and trip space madness. That is, he's going to obsess over over engineering a chair. So I'm installing the new chair. Cute, right? Right. I've been watching the show. Like I can appreciate (laughs) the continuity. And that's also the spot where trip and Paul first have a little bit of their conversation about what happened after to Paul had her wedding. Um, Trip is, you know, still kind of forlorn over it, obviously, and asks her how the honeymoon was because she was there two weeks after Trip had left. And um, they they finish the conversation later to say, like, to Paul, like, says, I went to go meditate alone, as if to say, I did not bang this man. I don't like him. <laughs> like, I like you, Trip. Like, they're still kind of keeping that going a little bit at a time, which is good. I like you trip, but I like my mom's tenure more. Do you know how good the Vulcan retirement package is? We were going to be living a long time. Those pensions are necessary. So listen, at the end of the day, trip, I'm a numbers girl. All right, you guys, your little blips on our radar, us eternal Vulcans pensions are forever. Briefly. We do. I have another scene back over on the bird of prey where the overacting augments invite on the rest of the augments. And apparently like this attack was not sanctioned because the leader who's a giant chat of a man who can't act any better than the rest of them uh, named uh, Rackin uh, admonishes the, 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 the future leader of the augments Malik uh, for, for doing so. And this is also where we find out where uh, the, I guess the the one available augment lady, Persis, 
uh, is is Malik's consort. There's um, several ladies. He's got. I, you're right. There are background ladies. maidens. Yeah, but this is uh, shout out to Persis, whose actress. Uh, well, she's in the same uh, tattered rags as everyone else, but she fills it out uh, in the way only a mid two thousands hottie can. Yeah, high def nipples. Just that had to be awkward. Uh, <laughs> but hey, uh, Brick Berman's gotta find a way to jack off to Klingon cheers Except somehow the or whatever. On this episode, whatever, yeah, whatever. Like, oh man, this is this is real uh, nipply Berman here. Like, mm. chill out. Just wait till we get that Orion scene. And so we get we get the tension there, which is. We've got a guy who's in charge and he's might as well write. I am not going to be in charge for long on his forehead and the way that he antagonizes everybody. And then before the plot really starts, we actually get a good scene between Flocks and Soong in sickbay where Flocks is reviewing the the genomes of all of the augments that Soong had stolen. And. Uh, this is at Soong's request. He seems to admire Phlox. They had communicated previously. They were colleagues. And Phlox, this is, I love Phlox in this scene because from the beginning, he's clearly quite disdainful of what Soong has done while Soong is trying to be solicitous of his approval and showing how sophisticated his work is. Like, you know, this isn't all from the 21st century. I, I, I added some, some things myself. I altered the genomes. And he thinks that Flox is going to be accepting of this because Flox is a Denoblian and Denoblians use genetic engineering uh, quite successfully, apparently. Little does he know that Flox refused to give genetic engineering assistance to the Mr. Rogers people uh, because he's too good for that stuff now. Space has changed him, but not changed enough that he was, you know, hesitant to make a clone of trip, which he would later go on to brain harvest. So Flox is a complicated guy. Uh, uh, Nunez Sanchez does not understand the intricacies and they part on somewhat bitter notes. There's also a follow-up scene to the bridge chair uh, part where Archer calls to Paul into the ready room. Oh yeah. It gives her a gift. Well, they discuss real quick, like, you know, where they're going. I think that's where uh, T'Pol, no, it was the, the meeting where T'Pol's like, eh, Vulcans aren't really too thrilled with this part of space, which we kind of glossed over. So this borderland where they're going is basically space ghetto. And this is the space between the Orion slaver syndicate and the Klingon Empire. Two bad that, days that taste bad together. And only bad motherfuckers go in there. So it's going to be it's going to be a doozy. Uh, the R- Vulcan's efforts to make peace in this area have not been great. And then Archer's like, okay, cool. Thanks. Also here, I brought you a gift. It's an ugly little wooden box. And I'm like, gee, that's an interesting way to store a uniform. Cause he is just like, congratulations. Here's you've got your new pips on your velvet jumpsuit. Same old velvet jumpsuit oh, with a mission patch too. She's got what? the enterprise mission patch on there too. Yeah. Yeah, they really decided that, you know, Jolene, no, sorry, you're on the show for a reason. You're not getting into a jumpsuit and the, the lady's got to be on clear display. And so we're just going to apply some, put some pips on there and a mission patch. And we're going to say you're in uniform. How in the fuck? 
he he gets he gives her the box. She opens the box up. It is not a uniform folded impossibly small. It's a fucking compass. compass. Yeah. I I'm completely at this point uh, focused on the fact that she's still wearing. As you recall, these are these is not like Vulcan uniform. She is wearing civilian clothes. This is like crushed, if you crushed velvet loungewear. Okay, this is like you right now. You're wearing a black T-shirt that looks like an old Navy T-shirt, right? Yep, nailed it. And you're off serving on the Enterprise, and they go, Joe, you've been with us two years now. You're one of the family. We're gonna bring in the crew. I'm gonna pin these military rank insignias to your old Navy T-shirt, and then I'm gonna give you an iron-on mission patch, and you're gonna wear this. On your fucking graphic tee, you'll be wearing a Back to the Future t-shirt with a fucking Enterprise mission patch on it. <laughs> the next time I have to cosplay or that I go to a Star Trek convention, that's what I'm doing. I'm just to take here. Look at this. As a matter of fact, I'm wearing an old Sears t-shirt because I'm an old fucking. I used to work for Sears. <laughs> for any young listeners, which I know we don't have. That was Amazon before Amazon. And I'm going to put uh, some mission, some, some, some pips on here and then i'm gonna iron a fucking star trek patch i'm sorry an enterprise patch on there i'll just be like look i'm a field commission this is how serious she takes the position she just took her regular everyday clothes why stop there it would be more special i would feel be more um thematically appropriate if she just wore that little tiny ass toddler pajamas yeah 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 her her uh massage parlor pajamas (laughs) and just put the pips and the patch on there ridiculous get her a new jumpsuit go grab something out of fucking seven and nines baked potato uh tin foil era and have her in like a silver at least put her in like professor what was what we call it professor kung fu whatever she fought the klingons the last time wearing on that terrible uh, oh yeah oil. the white the white jumpsuit i think yes. yeah, it was professor disco that's what we call the it. professor disco yeah 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 okay i remember now ridiculous and she's like, oh, cool. Thanks for your old fucking garage sale compass. I'll be sure to keep this uh, on top of my bed next to the uh, old plate full of peaches that Trip left behind. <laughs> They're rotted now. <laughs> oh, they We're saved the day. Right? up at some point by the Zindi. Yeah. Uh, the, I, I, I do like that it the, the scene demonstrates how far T'Pol's come in acceptance where now, like, not only is she a member of Starfleet, but like Archer went from hating her presence to giving her gifts. But wow, yes. that's a trip. Uh, I it's been so long. I forgot that he used to be so shitty to her, despite. Yeah, well, yeah. he never wanted her. She was put on. And then he quickly made nice with her and then reverted back to being a petulant racist. And then. And then he. He had to ask her to stay without officially asking her to stay. Uh, yeah, that's been a pretty good journey between them. Yeah, um, now he, she, she is the respected first officer of this ship, and he is happy to have her there. So they get into the Borderlands and immediately get jumped by the Orions. If you want to talk about, by the way, a very clear spot where the budget-friendly nature of this new mode of operating is is that they only actually made two effect shots including the orion ships but they needed to use three so when the orions show up and attack the enterprise here they reuse this exact shot later except the enterprise fires back so they just add some phaser strikes in 
Um, but they show up, they start shooting and eventually do what slavers do and just randomly take nine people off the ship and then bounce. One of them is to Paul. So they've got to go find what happened to their dudes. And, uh, Rick Soong is being an asshole about it, but does say like, I know where they took him. It was the place I have to go to, to get supplies. So I have a relationship with them. So this totally not a trap thing that I totally didn't set up, uh, is, uh, where we got to go. So, uh, and you're gonna have to take me with you to this planet filled with criminals where I know people and you don't. You think this is a setup? He says as much later. Like he admits it. Yeah. When he's in the break where he's like, where Archer's like, I imagine you set that up hoping that you'd be one of the people they kidnap. And he said that did occur to me as something as an outside chance, but (laughs) he admits like, yes, I did set up that the Orions attacked you immediately. How would he have communicated with them? He's Rick Sanchez. Fair. I, I thought when he was saying, getting him to admit that he was, naughty it was that you know you had the full intention of running away once we got got down to the surface and whatever the orion ships vaguely romulan looking but still pretty cool this has been what the third time now that there's been flyby transporter thefts on the enterprise time to invent shields bros yeah time to get wunterkind reed uh reed crusher over there and have him sit down and augment his shield technology so it doesn't stop just come shots and we can start deflecting some transporter beams because uh everybody there's a lot of people out there with transporters and you're lucky you haven't faced the race yet that just gets in a fight and beams you all into space hit up your hit up your boys and the andorians i got shields they're willing to share shran's your 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 frenemy vulcans have shields too though right they do, but they also like don't like to share and trans trans a homie. So yeah, well, listen, you know, we just saved the galaxy from space goo fluidic space. Like, please give us at least like dumb down shields so we're not getting yoinked off our ship anymore. They arrive at the planet called Varix Three. That is where uh, the Orions apparently are having the slave market, and when they get down there, that is when we start to see. The most ridiculous budget friendly rags hanging from ceilings with green lights. I appreciated the 60s camp of how funky the set looked, right? Oh, yeah, it works. It works for what they're trying to do. And the budgetness of it doesn't actually detract from it, right? It looks it's cheap, but it doesn't look too cheap. Speaking of cheap is uh, Ensign Pierce, who may as well be just screaming game over, man, game over in his cage. This guy looks like a Jim Brewer facial (laughs) character. I love the idea of a guy who just signed up because he was starstruck by Enterprise's missions and uh, wants to join in the, the space heroics. And the very, very first time out, he gets fucking snatched off the ship, gets a fucking you know, bomb strapped to his neck and he's going to be sold as a slave and he's freaking the fuck out. That is awesome. No, man, I read all the mission logs. It was like two years before a single person died. Like they went up against space spiders and, and butt probe Martians and everybody was fine. Like, how is this happening, man? Game over, man. Game over. Uh, 
I would have liked to Paul to be a little bit more freaked out here, right? She's got emotions. She should also have a little bit of jonesing and withdrawal still. Uh, she should be in arguably the most stressful, scary position she's been in yet. So I think we could have been afforded some sort of an emotional lashing out here, especially I think at Ensign Pierce's expense. That would have been really like this whole dude's worldview rock. Like he's on Enterprise, his first mission out, he gets enslaved, and then he has a Vulcan like flip out and yell and get very emotional on him. Or just slap him or something. You know, yeah. just like just slap them. Sure. A uh, lot of cool costumes. And this has been something that Enterprise has done well since the first season. The first episode, really a uh, bunch of weird aliens wearing a bunch of campy 60s era stuff. I don't. Did you see in the cage? There was a pop tart fuck face in there. Is Was there one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just quickly. It was barely in the way. But like um, the Count Crotchula spider face people that tried to hook up with Hoshi. It makes sense though. We were told there's a bunch of them that, uh, yeah. that count molestula was a cat cast off. So yeah, that could yeah. Be. Um, especially now that the thermobaric barrier is down and they can get out of the expanse. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so Paul gets snatched out of the cage pretty quick by one of our special guest stars. And that is of course the big show who is playing a muscle-bound Orion man-man and uh, takes her over to be sold. And when I say takes her over to be sold, I mean literally takes her by her arms, grabs her entire torso, and lifts her up to show her off like she's a piece of meat. Uh, There was a quote in our Discord about this particular moment. I want to read it because it was really funny. Um, it was, I've got this image in my head of a conference room at UPN where Jerry Ryan and Julie Blaylock are brought before Rick Berman and Brandon Braga and presented in the same way for their approval. (laughs) (laughs) As Barbie dolls on display, my wife saw the exact same thing I saw, demanded I rewind it. And she's like, was that a mannequin? And I was like, yes, I believe it is. And we rewound it. It's such a wide shot that has to be a mannequin. Well, it's it's not at first. Um, and then they go to the wide shot. And again, look at the one I put up in the uh, trauma support group. I don't think I'm looking at the wide shot right now in HD. It's her still. No, absolutely it, not. Dude, look I, at the I, way I, her hair moves. She is rigid as a fucking board. It is the most unnatural thing. Watch the actual clip. I refuse to believe that that is actually her. And it feels to me like she got. It's when I they wonder- set they set her down and she moves. It's definitely still her. Like she's she like moves like a person after she gets set down in the wide shot. Yeah, whoever's listening at home right now, go watch this. You know what? Maybe we'll do another um, another poll. You know, I'll crush you again. No, no, you won't. I, we're, first of all, we're one in one. Second, I'm correct here. Truth shall set you free, Peter. It's, I think it- that she <laughs> hit some sort of a weird uh, moral wall where she's like, I refuse to be picked up and shown off. Go get a fucking mannequin, put the stupid jumpsuit on it, put a wig on it. He can show her off and then uh, they'll cut back into me because she, she moves to believe that big she moves as a human man. 
we'll, we'll see it's, what the it's, it is a ridiculous shot right like it is on one hand it's exploitive but on the other hand it's just funny right like the big show, big show is just so much larger than Jolene Blaylock that she can he can just lift her up like she's a child and show her around everybody so she's a child compared to everybody like maybe True. Hoshi which does Hoshi even get to talk in this episode <laughs> No, gosh. I mean, we should have a discussion at some point about like poor Hoshi and Mayweather. I, in fact, you know what? Just poor Hoshi. Mayweather gets lines. <laughs> like, Mayweather, Mayweather gets, gets into- to fuck dudes up. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I would say that that's the only uh, thing that was missing from this episode was was Mayweather, you know, throwing down with one of these augments and showing his true powers. You know, Tell they, me that's to come, please. God, if he could get a good solid shot off a of augment and be like the guy that gets to go back to Earth and brag and say I beat an augment's ass, <laughs> but he wouldn't. But he wouldn't brag because he's nice guy Travis, right? Like <laughs> he's going to be in the middle of another bar fight, punching three people at once. Be like, oh the, hey guys, what's going on? The the most vicious coiled up jack in the box ever. Um, speaking of the augments. I forget who the conversations between, but there's a lot. There's a healthy smattering of scenes where they condemn the process of genetically engineering and augments. And it's interesting to watch this final entry into Berman era Trek and the, the continuation of Roddenberry Trek, where the augments are bad guys and bad and dangerous and Contrasting that with what we just watched in Strange New Worlds, specifically episode two, which was the uh, the courtroom one, and a couple other times where they're like walking that back big time and like, no, you know, augments are people too, and this is fine, and yeah, some augments were bad, but you know, equality and undo the racism and everything else. I didn't like the second season of Strange New Worlds, obviously. Um. First episode was real bad, and that second episode, what 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 really turned me off was the failure to really bring context into why the Federation hates genetic engineering. You know, it was all about equal rights, Yas Queen sticking it to the Federation for their their you know intolerance because you want to make a current day reference. That's not how this is supposed to work in Trek. In Trek, humans are fucking scarred over the tremendous and terrible civilizational toll that occurred as a consequence of genetic engineering. It is why they do not fucking approve. And it's got nothing to do with anyone's in on an individual level. And it's everything to do with making sure you set the precedent that this is not okay. So it can't be okay, even at any level whatsoever. And that is just a price we're going to have to pay as a consequence of our inability to control this technology in a way that won't destroy us. Right, we came too close. We're scarred. We have PTSD. The hard thing is that if you'd only take up through Berman, you can say, well, listen, uh, a side effect of being a person that is five times stronger than a normal human and all of this hyper intelligence is you're just fundamentally fucked up. Like yeah. these guys, the way they're talking, they're crazy, uh, violent streaks and this other stuff like that is a byproduct of that. When you make uh number one, what, what's her actual name? 
Una. Una. Una Chin Riley. When you have this uh, magic reveal that, ta-da, I'm an augment after all. Was her was that a human colony of augments or was she an alien? She's an Illyrian. Okay, so you can still make the case that human augments have this 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 uh, psychopathic tendency, right? Uh, but I still think that like having her be this very warm, nice, matronly lady uh, muddies that water. But it does. I, it, like it's the the problem is. It's also because, um, as the the Noblians point out, they use genetic engineering all the time. So it's not that genetic engineering is wrong. It's genetic enhancements, you know, extra abilities, which clearly Una has, is where they draw the line. She is quite Um, the X-Men, yes. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Peter, it's almost an hour here. We are really not, not halfway through the episode. Do you want to call this a two-parter? Do you want to return to this next week? Yeah. I I feel like this there's too much uh richness on the bone here. So we're gonna return now, why to this. Why is this such a monumental episode? That that's interesting. I think it's because we get to talk so much about augments. We get to talk about like Star Trek lore and Brent Spiner's family. Brent Spiner and like what is like Soong's story and how data came to be is part of this. Like um, and really, the first time that Berman has gone both hands on, uh, Berman's gone two hands on to uh, Roddenberry era topics, like like yeah. really embraced uh, the TOS camp. So I think we should just keep talking about this next week. So right. set yourself up for a two parter out there in Viewer Please Land for on a eventual three parter it's just the way it's gonna be we'll talk listen, to you later listen there's only 20 what four episodes this yeah, season we make extra content for you okay you can hear us drone on and on about the big show more next week <laughs> <laughs>